This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Bill Bartholomew here with you coming off what was a spectacular weekend here in Rhode Island. I hope you had a chance to uh, get outside and enjoy that. I know I did. Each day I was I was doing everything I could to make sure I spent as much time outside as possible. Um, I got to perform at the Ocean Mist on Saturday night, always one of my favorite venues to perform at, and it was pretty much a sellout, so that was nuts. Thanks to everybody that was there. Um, busy week here in Rhode Island. We have the uh, next gubernatorial forum. I won't call it a debate, but the next forum coming up on Friday morning. Um, I'll have coverage of that. on. Uh, I'll be live tweeting like I did the last one. I'll do a wrap-up pod, so on and so forth. Um, that's Friday morning. I think it's at 10 o'clock, and it's coming from Roger Williams University, the Latino Policy Institute. So... Also seeing today that Central Falls has reinstituted the mask mandate in schools. So COVID cases definitely rising. COVID outcomes definitely presenting here in Rhode Island. And it's something to definitely, you know, I don't know what we do anymore. I don't, I don't think we freak out. I don't think we melt down. But it's definitely something to keep in mind. Now, there was a, a member, a former member, I should say, of the Department of Health, um, Julian Drix, that last week put up a tweet that was highly critical of Governor McKee, even calling him incompetent for his COVID-19 response. Um, And that has kind of gained some traction. I saw there was a Boston Globe article on his reaction to that. So you can judge for yourself whether or not we're doing the right thing, balancing the economy and daily life as we know it with mitigating a virus. But uh, that's happening right now. And really, at this point, we just have to see how it goes. You know what I mean? Good thing is we're heading into summer proper and there'll be more and more outdoor activity and hopefully that helps to remedy this a little bit, but to be determined. So today's guest is Bradley Vanderstad, who's been on the podcast before. He's running for city council in Ward 3 and is just somebody who is like a Providence person. I think that's the best description of Brad. He's He does the downtown walking tours. He's involved in a lot of different community level groups and, and is just somebody who has his finger on the pulse of you know many different issues impacting Providence and I thought it was a good time to bring him on and and have a conversation on Providence in general because that's been something we've been getting into here on the podcast this notion of the new Providence versus or perhaps in conjunction with the old Providence and Brad had some really interesting things to say on that plus we talk about his campaign for city council and what is a really uh, interesting year on the city council. You know, you've got a bunch of young candidates. You've got a bunch of vacancies that are taking place. There could be some major shifts there. So we're going to keep an eye on that as the city of Providence goes. So goes the state of Rhode Island. Dot 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 dot. But I really think Providence is is in a critical moment right now, where um, in, in, in its relationship to the region, not just the state, but the region, is at an all time uh, critical point. Are we going to shift into a, a period here where Providence can kind of serve as the epicenter of a vibrant, robust, and equitable economy and lifestyle for all of us here? Or are we going to start to see us move closer to feudalism, <laughs> right, as a result of some of these decisions that are coming down? So that's the the, the nature of the conversation today. Speaking of conversation if you want to get in on the podcast, um, send me an email, bill at ripodcast.com. I'm going to be reading your emails live on the air. Well, not live because the podcast isn't live, but you know what I'm saying. We're going to be reading them on the air, 
and uh, presenting questions to candidates and so on and so forth as we move along here. Again, that's bill at ripodcast.com. Support for Bartholomew Town comes from Pure Vita Labs. Visit purevitalabs.com today and by Commonwealth Care Alliance, delivering uncommon care to Rhode Island. All right, so something that we've been talking about a lot is, or, or I've been talking about a lot and we've been kind of discussing here on the podcast is this notion of kind of two providences converging. One, the old providence that, you know, of modern times, if you will, the last, I don't know, 100 years or something like that. I know Providence has been through a lot of transition in that period. But but then this new Providence that includes the 195 land, that includes the Superman building, the Trader Joe's, you know, the re, yeah. recalibration of the bus terminal. And joining us today is Brad Vanderstad, who is running for city council, welcoming him back to Bartholomew Town. We have a lot to talk about. Obviously, you're running for council. I guess we should probably get into that. But I want to start with this notion of this this convergence of two providences. Your initial take as somebody who's been kind of right in the thick of development in the city and, and concepts, your initial take on where things are going and can we balance the old and the new providence? Yeah, well, that's a great question, Bill. That's awesome. And I actually, I feel like I'm, I'm well positioned to answer it because of my uh, small business giving walking tours in downtown Providence. Sure. And uh, there's a spot on North Main Street by Mills Tavern where uh, there's a hill that goes up to a parking lot there. And if you go up that hill, you can see the remnants of the east side rail tunnel that, that mm-hmm. travels underneath the east side. And also, so I'm always perplexed by that spot. Or just in awe because it's not only the first street in Providence, North Main Street being Town Street originally when the settlement was first created in 1636. And that train then in the early 1900s bringing uh, commuters from the Seekonk area. And now to have Mills Tavern, modern restaurants, you know, the train, if you were to try to build it again, would hit several buildings, right, that have been built since, since that time period. And so to be able to stand in that spot at the convergence of all these time periods, um, it always kind of uh, makes me appreciate the fact that we're we're still in we're in another layer of it, but we're all in this continuous existing history. Um, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I I agree, and it's important to know or or note, I should say that you know when we talk about the old Providence, I mean, who knows what Providence even looked like? I mean, we can go back to the the pre Ice Age times. Right, I mean, yeah. it's constantly moving, <laughs> yeah. and I think you're totally right that yeah. you can see so much transition happening. Do you think, and just on a on a baseline level, from from your vantage point, I think the big issue is housing that a lot of people have. Now they'll say, "Oh yeah. man, the uh, Superman building's coming. Nobody's going to be able to afford to live there, except for the twenty mm-hmm. percent maybe in the affordable spot." But at the same time, there's housing issues throughout throughout different le- layers or levels of income. Mm-hmm. So it almost is like this important thing to be able to have middle and upper middle class housing, so that those people aren't taking the quote unquote affordable housing. Do you think that that balance right. is, is going to be struck here as we move into the next 10, 15 years? Well, what's what's nice about luxury housing is that there's already an existing incentive for it as it's profitable, right? So right. even even when market situations aren't like we're looking at right now, it makes sense for developers to, to build units that they can turn a big profit on. That's okay. That's mm-hmm. why the conversation publicly has all been about affordable housing because it's not always a positive incentive for developers to come in and build affordable housing because they can't make the money off of it. So the subsidy has to come from somewhere, whether it's the city selling at a discounted rate or um, the there's an agreement that 
the units will only go to renters of certain incomes, right? There has to be some, and, and part of the development and so sale and renting process, there has to be some level of subsidy. And that's usually where the government will step in. I, um, I think when it comes to housing, we have to look at both incentives and disincentives. Um, for, I was just reading an article that a constituent shared with me about the housing problem in Massachusetts, where you have a bunch of little LLCs that are uh, easy to set up and protect the owner from liability um, that are scooping up hundreds of homes. Um, this article is in the Springfield area and made it almost impossible for renters to first of all, find out who they're renting from and to hold accountability for those folks who are, are not being responsive to, to tenant needs. Um, so we need to make sure that when it comes to housing that the right people are getting access to it, basically. you know, We need to shut off the financial incentive for businesses like that to, to operate and steer the ship back into the hands of, of renters in Providence. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree because there's also something that Mayor Alors and I talked about this, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago here in the pod, I guess three years ago, which is that it's not okay to just say, well, you know what, there's not enough housing in, in Providence proper for traditionally Providence residents. So they're just going to move to uh, these, you know, lofts or something like that in Pawtucket or, you know, they could, you could always just move to, uh, you know, just over the state line somewhere else. in I don't know, some Blackstone Valley, Massachusetts or whatever, and just take 146 into work. The idea is people who want to be in the city should be able to be in the city. And that once you get to that point, that threshold where you just can't be here, you can't make it work. That's a dangerous thing. And that's something that a lot of people, I think, would be probably correctly so concerned about when we talk about building um, more and more housing with the idea of these are either commuters to or from Boston or people who are working hybrid um, that work out of New York or something like that. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the Boston commuter. So we are um, in, in Ward 3 where I'm running. We're having a robust community discussion regarding North Main Street right now and what yeah. the future of North Main Street is going to look like. And we're talking about putting in a bike lane and there's there's a single lane What's it called? Dedicated transit lanes, right? For for the R line that goes through there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can know at this point that once these investments are made, this is going to be a really desirable area. And I want to make sure that the whole situation doesn't become extractive with out-of-towners moving in, buying uh, fancy development on North Main Street so that Boston commuters can hop on the R line and take it to the train. Right. Yeah. Like we, we know that that could happen, but that's 100 percent within the realm of possibility. So we have to make sure that when we are designing things now, we're setting aside land and development opportunities for low income housing and mixed income housing uh, opportunities. Let's talk jet, uh, very specifically, I should say you're running for city council, mm-hmm. jumping into the sausage making process. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, what, what made you decide to run? Oh, uh, you know I feel like a lot of people, and I probably should have this like boilerplate answer, but it really, I mean, I kind of change my mind every day. I know I want to run. And the answer right now is that I love the city of Providence. Um, so I have it tattooed on my forearm here. Yeah. I love the city. I uh, I moved here in 2012 for a degree at Johnson & Wales and decided that this was the place for me. Um, I love getting involved. I'm the vice president of the Neighborhood Association. I love getting plugged in and supporting neighbors. Um, and I'm all about really... I love new ideas and I love being able to amplify those ideas for other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'll settle with that for now. Yeah. That's a nice way to answer it though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> not having the boilerplate. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, and, and I want to focus in on, on you and, and your vision and what, what you see for both ward three and the city as a whole, at, if you were mm-hmm. elected to the council, but 
you know, there's a lot of younger folks who are running for council this year. There's kind of yeah. a contingent of, I'm thinking one, two, three, three or four people that, that come to mind, um, you included, that if if all elected would dramatically change the shape and scope of the council and at least demographically and somewhat politically. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you feel like there's a, you know, just a, a the pulse of the city right now is looking for I hate to use this term. It's kind of like, what does it even mean? But I don't even know what it's originated from, but fresh blood. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Okay. Yeah. So I'm really excited to be a part of this because you're right. It is a unique year for the city council because two thirds of the city council is up for, uh, is going to be new based on a term limit uh, ordinance that they passed a couple of years ago. And so um, this is the first time that there's going to be this huge level of turnover. And I'm really excited to be a part of that. Um, I think that, there's a lot of young people and I'm really excited about it. I think that it's important though, that as young people, we make sure that we don't just come steamrolling in with progressive values without actually sourcing them from the community too. You know, I feel like uh, it's important to listen to neighbors and make sure that they're considered. In Ward 3, we're having a big conversation around bike paths um, mm-hmm. because they're talking about bringing a bike path to Hope Street. Um, which is a pretty narrow street and a business district. And I was just talking to some business owners on Thursday about um, about how they're all against um, the vast majority of folks that I have talked to are against the bike path on Hope Street. They say it's going to be unsafe. It's going to bring congestion. It's going to make deliveries challenging um, for their small businesses. But the folks who are not directly impacted by that want safer and more affordable and more direct transit lines for alternative transportation routes like bikes and scooters and and whatever you choose to ride. So it is contentious, but and I'm a big bike path guy, but a lesson I learned is that we have to make sure that we're listening to everybody. The business owners are really important. This is their livelihood. You know, it's really important that they feel heard and respected in the process. So that's going to be, that's going to be something that we're looking forward to. Yeah. That's such a, such an interesting and mature response right there. I completely agree with that. I think that applies to general assembly as well. Now there are times where you have to take a stand and there are issues mm-hmm. that are just like, no question about it. I mean, if like, unless you want to just be complete phony you can't just roll right. over on right. but i think that's so fascinating that you say that and specifically with the bike path because i mean when you look at the south water street bike path there was a there was limited controversy in terms of who was kind of behind it i know it was sort of emanating from jewelry district leadership and certain mm-hmm. restaurateurs and so on and so forth but right. there was opposition and i feel like some of that opposition and again i'm not talking about the the confusion between the federal government and the dot and the city of providence that was just a whole nother cluster of nonsense but Mm -hmm. it is important to engage what the city wants and if the majority of people want a bike lane on south water street great i'm all about it i love that area i think it's amazing but Mm -hmm. progressive ideals sometimes you know you become so you you dig in so hard and it's the certain certainly the same on on the right as well with like very conservative ideas where you just you're no longer serving the constituency you're serving a broader movement and the role is an ambassador for the people of, in your case, Ward 3. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and that can actually serve to um, hurt the movement as a whole. You yeah. know, when, when you're taking a stand here and you're, but you're separated from the actual wants and needs of the community, it can actually damage the progressive movement because now you've become associated with someone who doesn't listen, right? You're, you're not, you're obstinate and you're not listening to the needs of the community. Um, I think it's important to be progressive. Don't get me wrong, but and we should work to elevate yeah. progressive voices and right and historically marginalized voices. Um, yes. But important to to be listening. Yeah, and those historically marginalized voices. Do you feel like there's enough being done 
Um, I mean, there's there's clearly not because there's still a lot of disparity that's unacceptable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but do you feel like there's enough policy wise being done right now on a baseline level in the city of Providence to try to um, ameliorate some of the built in systemic racism, classism, disadvantages that take place because we talk about housing, we talk about education, we talk about healthcare, we talk about transit, whatever it may be. There's mm-hmm. still major disadvantages that certain groups face, not universally, but by and large. Do you mm-hmm. think there's enough being done, enough, enough started? And if not, uh, what would you like to see? What would you initiate if you were elected? Good question. Um, it's it's never enough, right? It, there's never enough that can be really done to ameliorate the the tragedy of racism in this country. I um, I think of Ward 3 specifically. And if you go down Olney Street, if you're headed up the hill, right, toward uh, toward TTO Flats there, and you look on the right and left, historically the line between Ward 3 and Ward 2. Um, Ward 2 on the right, the Benefit Street, College Hill, you see these beautiful homes, right? It's like picturesque Providence, this, that, the other thing. Everyone's got multi-million dollar homes. If you look to the left, you'll see the Whole Foods parking lot um, and next to uh, University Heights there. And that's a leveled neighborhood from when they were clearing out urban blight. Um, and I use uh, hand quotation marks there because that was a racist practice by which we were just knocking down um, communities of color for the most part uh, because they, the homes weren't valuable. Um, so it's a huge, and you can see that. You can still walk down the street and see that. That's not that far long ago. You know, I would like to see um, a program that specifically targets that disparity, that uh, racist act of, the, of, our, of our past, of Providence, the city of Providence's past, by talking about specifically people who were harmed in that, right? Because there are people in Mount Hope who still own their home who were denied capital before the Fair Housing Act. Um, And so I would like to see uh, forgivable grants or even just forgivable loans or grants to those families who are are still here, who were still impacted by those racist laws that were in in effect. There's this thing that that I called, I was on WPRO, I think it was last week, you know, filling in for, for Dan, <clears throat> Dan York. And, you know, I did this kind of montage of different voices, Cliff Wood from the Providence Foundation. I had Gonzalo's voice on there, Brett Smiley's voice, two mayoral candidates. Nice. Um, just talking about this, you know, it's, it's something that I call out members of the media on this because this idea is fed through them that somehow if you're from you know, South Kingstown and you come to Providence to go to a small business or go, you know, go for a walk or something like that, you know, somebody's going to jump out of, uh, you know, some dumpster and, you know, hop on a dirt bike and run you over and take, take all your stuff and, and eat your pets. And, you know, this <laughs> idea of like, and it's something that chief Clements and I talk about, it's just like, it's so frustrating. It's so it, 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 there is, however, there are, I should say many issues here that are, that are of, um, you know, critical concerns sometimes they're more nuisance oriented like the atvs but there there can be a danger to that as well no question about it so how do you correct public safety without what while having a reasonable and equitable and and appropriately soft hand at the same time making sure there is public safety here and how do you change the perception of the city of providence to people who don't live here so that's the hardest part because even if we were to make things perfect they wouldn't be here to see it right um I think that um, you have to do a whole bunch of things at the same time to correct public safety. I believe that crime is a systemic issue and that uh, just allowing 
or, or coming down hard on being an anti-crime candidate, right? For example, like we've, we've seen in, in, in decades past uh, is not actually helpful in the long term. It doesn't fix any of the systemic issues that leads to why people are committing crime in the first place, which is lack of opportunity and lack of educational opportunity, um, economic and educational opportunity, I should say. Uh, so I think in order to really to fix crime, if you look at it, most of the crime is being committed by kids, right, or youth generally, who have been yeah. failed by the Providence public school system. And so I think that by focusing on the school system, we can actually reduce crime in the long term. In the short term, we need to focus on community policing. Uh, we need to allow police to be able to do their jobs and be supported by the community, but at the same time, know that they're going to be held to account if they do make a mistake. I think that if you say the word accountability in this day and age to a, in a police context, um, it gets shouted down as being a ridiculously progressive idea, right? It doesn't, yeah. uh, which is kind of nuts. I, it, it, accountability makes every system better. Accountability makes government better. It makes private corporations better. It makes everything, like just a, having the feedback of if a mistake gets made, that there's a correction for it. That's all we're asking for. And it seems that the system has been tilted against that in favor of um, police unions and, and um, law enforcement. So we need to make sure that there is an accountability system by which if something goes wrong, as we've seen, right, as we've seen very egregious examples of, that there is correction for that. Yeah. Um, what, what, in War 3, I should know this off the top of my head, or at least should have looked this up, obviously. But talk, yeah. talk about the race itself. I'm not I, I can't picture the candidates in the race off the top of my head other than you. Maybe yeah. that's a good thing for you. Yeah, yeah that is good for me. I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. Um, so there's two other candidates right now. There's two other candidates. Corey Jones. Oh, yeah, uh, Corey. That's it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. who I think yep. has appeared on the pod, right? Definitely, and, um, yeah. and And Susan Anderbois. And um, yeah. I think War 3 is fortunate that they all have – they have got three good candidates. Um, I think that my differentiation is that all of my experience has come from this community. You know, I've been here for about 10 years, and I come from a – grassroots perspective on things. I've been at the point of service delivery for my entire career, as in I've been a seventh grade math teacher with Teach for America. I'm a Rhode Island National Guardsman and I've slept in the woods uh, <laughs> at the point of delivery, right? At the lowest point. I, uh, I'm the vice president of the Summit Neighborhood Association, right? I think I said that already, but it's, again, it's at the community level as opposed to coming down from the governor's office or coming down from the, the leadership of the, the halls of power there. And I think that that uh, is the is my perspective and the best perspective in order to, to build policy. Last question here. And it's a, it's very ambiguous, I guess, um, you know, and, and, and subject to interpretation, you know, what, what's your favorite restaurant cafe? I mean, this is like the generic, I feel like Dan McGowan does, you know, this is like his, uh, his yeah. territory. I don't know. <laughs> I, I should probably tread carefully here. So as sure, to not, sure. to not uh, rip off Mr. McGowan, but sure. you know, favorite restaurant, favorite cafe, favorite mm -hmm. place to hang out like tell us about your experience in providence on on the fun side of things yeah i'm dreading one day dan mcgowan's gonna ask me where my favorite cup of coffee comes from and i don't drink coffee so i'm, oh, there you <laughs> go. I'm really worried about that <laughs> well that's the safest answer you offend no one <laughs> that, well sure i feel like it's kind of a cop-out but um <laughs> i do like i do like a london fog from um seven stars so let, let that be known but um <laughs> But yeah, oh, I had I had uh, pizza yesterday at Hope Street Pizza. It's a great little spot. Um, I love going down to Three Sisters for some ice cream. If you go for a long walk on Blackstone Boulevard and, and stop it for some ice cream at the end, it's your little uh, destination there. Uh, Hope Street is such a marvelous place. I love it aesthetically. I love it for its community. I love it for its owners and the people. And I'm starting now. Um, 
I mean, I've, I've lightly known the business owners because I've seen them before, but now I'm making a bit more of an intentional effort to get to know folks. And I love being able to walk down the street and be like, oh, hey, oh, hey, what's going on? You know, uh, I get my haircut at Arrow Salon, which is right off Rochambeau. And the ladies in there are awesome. Uh, yeah, every, it's a it's a great community. I love spending time there. Brad Vanderstad is running for city council in Ward 3 in Providence and uh, somebody who has just been, you know, kind of hyper connected to what's going on in the city through your work and all the different things you just described, but also through your small business giving tours of downtown. I mean, that's, that's a, it's not really a bird's eye view. It's like a, I don't know, squirrel's eye view. I don't, yeah. I don't know. What <laughs> yeah, I love that. Wow. I'm going to start saying that. I got a squirrel's eye view on this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A historical foundational view of Providence. Yeah. Is what there I you go. Add. Support the podcast for as little as $3 per month by visiting patreon.com slash Bartholomew Town, or just go ahead and click the support link wherever you're listening right now.